What You Need to Know is brought to you by Morongo. Play it safe, good times. Laura, what do you got? Okay, so I actually read a cool story about the giant Sears building that's located in Olympic Boulevard and Soto Street. They're actually going to close down. So that leaves the future unclear for this 94-year-old building. And it has 1.8 million square feet of floor space. And I want to know if you guys were to own that building, what would you guys do with it? So the the Sears you're talking about is in Boyle Heights. And Boyle mm-hmm. Heights has been dealing with, I mean, for years now, uh, you know, gentrification issues. I remember uh, Anthony Bourdain did one of his shows uh, out of Boyle Heights and just wanted to kind of get into the the real parts of L.A. where, I you know, I believe the heart of L.A. is. And a town like Boyle Heights is one of them. And he spent some time there. Um, and, and, you know, he talked about that then. And, and obviously living here, you read the stuff in LZ's paper, the L.A. Times, all the time. Um, I had read many years ago um, that they had thought about trying to make that particular building apartments. Uh, I don't know if that is Oof. the case at the moment. But I, I'm pretty sure that's what the plan might have been. Maybe that is not the case anymore. I think you need to make something historic there. Um, if it were me, because that building's been there for 94 years, because Sears, you know, in, in, and I grew up in a, in a town, you know, when I was a kid, we went to Sears all the time. Um, I, I feel like it needs to be something that is representative of maybe the community in some way, maybe a museum, maybe a school. Um, I, I think that the city should look into something that can help the community at large. What an iconic building, first of all. I mean, if you know this building and you know that this, you got to remember, standalone store, Sears, a department store, standalone by itself, you know, and, and how the whole world changed and department stores eventually became part of malls. In fact, there was a Sears in the mall that I used to go to when I was younger. Sears was a great place. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, my mom would have the Sears catalog. And it was the size of a phone book. And yeah. anything you wanted, you actually would order out of the Sears catalog. Yeah. I mean, that was Amazon back in the, you know, when I was a kid in the 70s and 80s. Right. See what I'm talking about, George? See? But he's right, though. He is right. Cuts about off that. in 98, dog. Cuts <laughs> yeah. off in 98. Well, in 98, Sears moved into malls, LZ. Sears stopped being Oh, way before then, in the 80s. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I was way before to, then. Trying yeah. to just transition nicely yeah. there. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, iconic building, though. It would be cool if you could do something with it that is good for the community. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. LZ? Tear it down. What? Which might be good. Maybe that's good. Listen, we went through this in Detroit. I've witnessed it since in Chicago. Um, this is progress. And as much as I am not a fan of the socioeconomic ramifications of gentrification i am a fan of progress and maybe that building will be better served not being that configuration of a building but being erected as a proper housing facility so that instead of trying to reconfigure this fantastic art deco i'm assuming given how old it is building into because i've never been inside of it um into housing that it's going to need to cost a lot of money in order to make up for the money that's going to take to convert it. Why not just level it, build some affordable housing that's up to date, and okay. you probably end up being cheaper in the long run. That's true. 
Yeah, that that could be fair. Um, I mean, that I mean, I am curious to see what they do there, though. Uh, Laura, thank you so much. That is what you need to know. Brought to you by Morongo. Play it safe. Good times. So what a crazy deal, dude. But just by the way, that these stores used to be there standalone by themselves, massive yeah. stores mm-hmm. with all these departments. Now I can't remember was Sears or was it J.C. Penney. My mom would get me uh, tough skin jeans. You guys ever wear tough skins? They were the worst, worst, worst jeans when you were a kid, but they had like a layer at the knee so that your knees didn't rip, but they were the most uncomfortable, like you couldn't even move in these things. But that's what happened when, you know, your mom was buying your clothes at like Sears and JCPenney. I was getting tough skins, dude. Yeah, I, I never had tough skin. I think we had uh, Levi or whatever it was, I guess, at the time that was the, the, the jeans of choice. Um, but they were bought at JCPenney's or Sears for sure. Uh, Mar- when I was was it Mervyn's? Mervin's. Or Mervin's? Mervin's. Mervin's doesn't Mervin's. exist anymore yeah. for sure. Mervin's, Woolworth, Jacobson's. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is what happens to these box store, you know, large name. I mean, Macy's is holding on by a thread. Yeah, right. For sure. I by mean, the way, if you have these these stories, good stories about uh, the city and the, the area, uh, the community. You can hit up Laura on Twitter at unique, and she has a unique spelling for it: U N E E Q U N E E Q underscore. Yeah, you but you know, it. you go to Sears back in the day, though, really for like appliances or tools. Yeah, I bought my ele- mom's stuff yeah. at Sears not that long ago. Yeah, um, electronics. I, 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 I bought her some, a new washer and dryer at a Sears because it was the closest place to buy it near right. where she lived so I, I think I went it was like that. i think they had a brand i think it may have been called kenmore what Does is happening here Wait. you two sound like knicks fans <laughs> talking about when you guys were winning chips back in the 70s this is this is over it's been over for a long time oh no it is but it's still it's still weird <laughs> like, when you remember blockbuster and we used to get the videotapes and everything well, yeah. and i mean just, but uh, no but that's different lz that's no, that's it's very niche a, a department store is not niche you know there's still department stores Department stores are niche. <laughs> Can I be real? I took it took me being in high school to go to a Sears store because I used to go to the swap meet with my mom, <laughs> like the flea market, and I was right. so excited when El I went. El pulguero. Into, yeah, when we. <laughs> yeah. When I went into a Sears store, I was like, "This is, ain't all that." What, what was it about? It's, it's it's a very very dated, because it was really about the experience and it was about you know, providing women back in the day a space where they could gather. And then it sort of expanded a little bit and they started branching out in terms of incorporating items that men would be interested in. And then they got into the big catalogs as, as Kaplan was talking about. But I mean, all that's been passed through like since the late 80s. Like it's over and it's been over for a long time. Yeah. yeah, and then you see this building, ninety-four years old, and it's sitting here like empty and vacant. It's like, okay, what do you do with this thing? So, very interesting though, because I mean, I, I telling you, department stores. I, I can't tell you the last time I was in one, but there was one. You guys remember a department store years ago called Dillard's? Does that re- sound familiar? Yeah, I remember because uh, it was famously involved with sports. Because remember, Peter Warwick had that incident there with the shoes or whatever. When, remember uh, the Chicago in- Bears when they had that great defense and they had Walter Payton. Yeah, and 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 Vince, that's what you guys sound like right now. Well, no, but I, let me just let me pay off let me pay off the, the whole Dillard thing. So so Dillard's apparently went out. Of, I guess it went out of business, dude. Right, and so in the in the location, I love you're committed, mall, Cap. I love right, that I'm you're committed, committed to it. Yeah, I'm committed at this point. Yeah. Right, hey LZ, at this point, I'm not just bit killing. I mean, I'm bit burying at this point. Yeah, I was gonna but, say we could have just moved on, right? But it's but, okay. But, but let me pay it off. So so this store Dillard's is in the mall, right? And then and then all of a sudden they weren't there, and so the the space was all vacant. 
and they put in there the exhibit. Have you guys ever seen the exhibit called Bodies, where it was like dead bodies and like no. you know, never heard of this? No. LZ, this is a this is a rel- this is a post nineteen ninety eight pop culture reference that I'm talking about right here. The Bodies exhibit. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, I went to the Bodies exhibit. This friend of mine got <laughs> I, out of the car. I mean, I'm looking ca- it up here. Bodies exhibition. Um, yeah. yeah. Is is that what it is? Yeah, they they took dead bodies and, and then they just would, took them around the, and, the yeah, world like a museum, like a traveling museum. I had no interest, but <laughs> so so that's seriously, kinda, I mean, I guess that's interesting. They, I see it. They had it in Vegas, or they still actually have it in Vegas. It's at the Luxor. Like, so, but it sta- it stays there now. But this one was in the mall because it took over where Dillard's, the department store, was. So we get out of the car, and one of the women who's with us, she goes, "Where are we going? I thought we we're going to see the bodies exhibit." And we say, "We are. We're going right over there. It says it right there." She goes. Oh, my God. I thought it said Bodie's. I thought that was the new department store that replaced Dillard's. I'm like, no, that's where the exhibit is. It's in the old department store. Oh, my goodness. That's it took so me a long funny. time to get there. I got it. Uh, all right. Um, Adam Silver. We're going to have Kevin Arnovitz on in a few minutes. I needed more time to get this ready, but we'll just do it anyway. Um, <laughs> Kevin Arnovitz, we talked earlier in the week about the – the three-point issue, quote-unquote, the NBA could be having, right? It's been a big topic of discussion this week. Are there too many threes? We talked to Michael about it. So Adam Silver, uh, the commissioner of the NBA, was on with Mike Greenberg today, which you can catch each and every morning here at 9 a.m. on this very station. And Greeny asked him about it, and here's what Adam said. We're constantly looking at tinkering at the game. We've moved the three-point line. As you recall, we moved it in once, then we moved it back out, then we moved it to a slightly different place on the floor. I think as the as the caliber of the shooting has gotten better, I mean, you know, you know, Bob Cousy said to me last year, you know, of all people, like he said, fans today don't understand the skill level of these players, what they're doing by shooting from that length on the floor with the kind of accuracy they do. Having said that, you want a diverse game. And and I think you recall, Mike, my early days in the league, everyone used to complain there was too much dunking mm-hmm. and that and that we had a lot of you know, a lot of great athletes in the league, but they weren't skilled in the way that you see a lot of these players now. So are we at the right balance? I'm sure there may be some adjustments we, we can make. I mean, I think, again, there's there's so much great about the game right now, but the three-point line in particular is something we'll continue to look at. Um, yeah, look, I, I think it's something they definitely have to look at. We talked about it. Now, Kevin Arnovitz did the story for ESPN earlier this week, so we're going to have him on in a couple of minutes to discuss this. But just very simple... Um, I, I will say this, like, I think there need to be adjustments to this and whether that's getting rid of the corners for, you know, the easiest shot from three point distance, moving the three point line back to create more nuance to the game, because the game LZ has lost the flavor of strategy, right? Every team is now built similarly, whereas before every team. You know, I'm not going to say there weren't groups of teams, you know, five to ten teams that were built similarly, but at least amongst the 30, right, you probably had two, three, four different styles of play. I think the between the laziness of coaches and the success of the Warriors, um, it's going to take a team winning another way to break us out of this. Or, you know, there's some sort of reconfiguration with the line. Because prior to the Warriors, everyone was still doing what we were doing essentially since, like, 
right? Like the early 2000s, get a big or two, you know, feed in the post. That's the reason why LeBron James gave up on Andrew Wiggins and went after, you know, Kevin Love. He thought he needed like a big power forward who could be like a stretch four. And the Warriors came in and says, no, we're not doing positions. We're doing right. ballers. Yeah. Well, actually, Phoenix kind of sort of started. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't that, right? win. They didn't no, win. No, no. But but because, then they because but prior then the to Heat Phoenix, did it. Because the Heat prior did to it. Phoenix, no, but even before Phoenix, it was the Golden State Warriors. Warriors. Right. Oh, you're right. You're TMC. right. You're right. Don Nelson. You Don are Nelson. absolutely right. And before yes. that, it was the Milwaukee yes. Bucks with Paul Presley being the power of the point forward. Correct. No one won. It, That's the reason I didn't catch. Right. It wasn't until Bosch moved to center and LeBron went to power forward that, that that somebody actually won doing it. Right. And so once the winning happened, that's when people started aggressively changing their strategy. You had people who can get success. I mean, Rick Patino kind of tried to do the same thing when he was with the coach, Celtics. With the Celtics, exactly. Yeah, he but yeah. he couldn't win. Right. It was the winning that changed everything. So when someone comes in and they win a different way, if the configuration doesn't change, then the success would change based upon what that new team introduces. I don't really see this whole thing as as big a problem as you guys do. I, I look at this as evolution of the game. You know, they they put the three point line out there, and guess what happened? Guys became great three point shooters, and and the game has changed, just like other games have changed along the way. I mean, lots of things have changed rules wise in the NFL to make things more pass happy to increase statistics. They, they're constantly tinkering with these games. I, I just don't understand what the big the fuss is about the three-point line. I'm, I'm just not clear. I don't think it's a problem at all. I don't see what the big issue is. All right, well, we'll ask Kevin Arnovitz about that. Kevin Arnovitz wrote the story about the potential issues, or maybe not issues, uh, about the NBA's three-point uh, performance or the attempts in a game. I, I think it has turned fans off a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong. Kevin's done the research. He's one of the best writers we have at the company, so we will talk to him uh, about that in two and a half minutes. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Sedano LZ and Cap here on 710 ESPN. We were just talking about what Adam Silver said earlier today on my Greenberg show about the three-point quote-unquote issue. Our pal Kevin Arnovitz is going to join us here in a second on the Morongo uh, Hotline, Celebrity Hotline. Play it safe. Good times. Kevin wrote this story earlier in the week about the potential issues with the volume of three-pointers in the NBA, and everyone's kind of, you know, at least a lot of people complain, right, about how many three-pointers are taken. It takes away strategy. It feels like everything is the same. Teams are built the same. You know, there used to be multiple styles. There's none of that anymore. So Kevin joins us here now. Uh, He is one of our best writers, uh, covers the NBA for us. You can check out his work on ESPN.com and the ESPN app. So, Kevin, what would you say uh, to this, like that this notion that there is a three-point issue? Do you believe there is an issue with three-point volume in the NBA? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's an issue. I, I think it's something to watch, right? So a few years ago, they were what, represented one out of every five shots. Now it's close to 40%. So, so the question is, 
I think we would all agree we want to see a, some. We want to maybe even see many, right? Um, the question is, if I told you, hey, 80% of the shots attempted in 10 years will be three-pointers, you, you kind of would probably say maybe, I, I don't know, you know, probably not the brand of basketball that would serve the league all that well. And, and so I think it's just a question of the trajectory is going higher and higher and higher. And is there a point where there's just this sort of uniformity um, you're starting to notice when you watch games, uh, you know, the funny thing about the conversation was I was just calling coaches, executives, you know, talking to people, hey, what are some issues non-COVID that are interesting you? And the number of people, and by the way, new school analytics people like Daryl Morey and like old school post-up basketball people. What was interesting is sort of the political coalition, that this was something that both offended analytics people on the fact that, look, it's out of balance, Right. Like we award 1.5 times points for a three-pointer over a two-pointer, right? You get a 50% premium. I think in like a dynamic market, if there was a flood of three-pointers, which has been, you might come back next year and say, okay, you know what, guys? You don't get three. You get 2.4, right? That would be the natural correction. But no one's going to go to an arena in here like Steph Curry for 2.4, right? Like the league would be laughed out of existence, and it would deserve to be laughed out of existence if it starts awarding fractional points. So the question is, okay, is there a balance? Like the league has always had issues, right? Like there was an issue with physical play in the nineties, right? And Alonzo Mourning and Patrick Ewing down on the post and it was WrestleMania and it was ugly and nobody wanted to watch it. And so the league said, yeah, we kind of have an issue. So why don't we modify the defensive rules? So I think the question is, if we continue on the current trajectory, we're going to see games where I'm already seeing games where there are over a hundred three pointers attempted. And that might be fine. I don't want to take an aesthetic position. All I'm saying is it's happening, right? Like the glacier is melting. So if you're cool with it, that's fine. If you are fine with a day when more than half the shots taken are three-pointers, that's cool. I'm not saying what people should like or not like. But I'm saying acting like this isn't happening, where literally the number of attempts have been doubled in like seven years in a league that we hope will go on forever – like, that's a thing. <laughs> is it a thing? If you like it, it's not a thing. But I think there's probably some stuff to at least monitor and discuss and say, hey, are there parts of the game that are being lost? Will we, you know, do we want every night to be a three-point shooting contest? Or will we like there to be some, as, as I think Daryl Morey said, hey, different ways to win on a given night. All right, so let me ask you this then, Kevin. W- what ideas are you hearing out there for everybody that says we think this is an issue or something to keep our eye on? What are some of the ideas that people are talking about to resolve what you think or what they think might be an issue? So since 2001, there's been this steady sort of uh, rule changes favoring the offense, right? Like we all have heard about hand checking and we all watched the Michael Jordan documentary. And like basically you could – there was a lot of defense could do to impede an attacking guard perimeter player, right? Like, I mean, you could really, we talked about the Detroit bad boys defense, the bad boys defense, there would be no bad boys today. Like they would be with, they would all foul out in the first eight minutes. Right. And so over time, there were some rules uh, where the center could be positioned defensively, uh, what you could do on the perimeter. And it started favoring the offense, which is why we kind of this like nice renaissance of the game, which was great. That's what everybody wanted to do. It was a really ugly product and guards were kind of being, you know, defended out of, out of, out of existence. Um, and then, you know, it kept going, right? And you had the, 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 the seven seconds or less fun Phoenix Suns, and we all love that. 
Right. By the way, that Suns team would be like near the last in the league in three points attempted. That's how far it's come so quickly. Um, And then they sort of got into freedom of movement. So little by little, you know, now an arm wrap, even kind of an arm touch. And you start hearing this on the on the, um, you know, postgame press conferences like, hey, you're not allowed to defend anybody. And I used to think like, eh, that's just the old timers who just want to see an aggravated assault every night. Right. Like and it's not real basketball until it's physical and jump shooters are, I don't know like emasculating the game or whatever nonsense they always said. Um, But I think there is this notion that, you know, guys are terrified to foul, um, that there's no way to impede penetration to the point where now you have just guards who are so athletic as it is going into the lane, defense collapses, kick it out to three. And it's great basketball, I think, to an extent, but it ceases to be phenomenal if it's no longer a phenomenon. I think, I think that's sort of the thing. So can we tighten up defensive rules to the point where, okay, it ain't going to be aggravated assault, but it's not going to be a spa day either, which I think is, is sort of the sense now, which is, and it's true. Like they really, each year, there's this point of emphasis, freedom of movement. Freedom of movement is great, but at a certain point, you have to look at what is it producing. And I do think it is producing, and in the, in, I think in the eyes of many people, again, what's interesting about this debate is it's not old school versus new school, right? There's some interesting coalitions around this. It's people who believe that, hey, just let it evolve the way it naturally was. The, there will be something that adjusts, that brings it back in naturally. And there are people like, no, 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 actually, you do have to legislate this stuff. If you want to regulate markets, you got to regulate markets. So it, it's sort of an interesting conversation. You know, I hear what the numbers are saying. But as far as I can tell, no team has won a championship relying on a three-point shooting. As far as I can tell. Last year, I mean, I, for, for instance, last year, the Lakers had people who can hit the three and who would take threes, but we led the league in two-point shots in the paint. The Golden State Warriors, on their fantastic run, for all the attention that was given to their three-point shooting, they were outstanding with the mid-range, backdoor cuts, and defense, just like the 80s. So I, I think that there's much to do about nothing because if the ultimate goal is to win a championship, those teams that are too stupid to figure out you need to play like a balanced game to win a chip will continue to falter like Daryl Morey's Houston Rockets squad did. But the teams that understand how to execute a proper balance will continue to be the champions of this league. Yeah, no, by the way, I, I don't disagree with you. I think the Lakers are a really interesting kind of counter uh, counterpoint. And also, and also, they did it with size, right? So this notion that you just put five shooters on the floor is a misnomer, right? And, and we know that. And see, I'm not, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm in the moderate school. Like, it was interesting. The reason I wrote the story is I was hearing just this range of opinion. Um, I do think... You know, it, it's more than just winning a championship. Like, you know, I, I was—I mentioned this in the piece. This, you know, game I watched, a random game, Milwaukee, Minnesota. Um, you know, in the center shot a collective twenty-two three-pointers. I want to see Damian Lillard. I want to see Steph Curry uh, shoot threes. I don't know that I need to see Naz Reed shooting. You know, five, <laughs> seven, eight, three. Who's Naz Reed? You ask. Exactly. Like, you know, it was Minnesota, baby. Anthony Come on. <laughs> but Anthony Edwards is the number one pick in this draft. He is of uncommon athleticism. This guy can fly. You probably saw the dunk. Yep. Like that guy is taking. He's not a very good three point shooter yet. He's taking three pointers. And by the way, they're not bad shots. They're good shots. I mean, that I think is the problem. Elsie is like, is 
it's not that, oh, these guys are taking dumb shots. No, no, they're taking good shots. Like, if you're a mediocre to crappy three-point shooter, you're still better off, given the return, doing it. And I think it's more just like, I agree with you, and I think the best teams and the team that wins this year is going to have a good balance. And, you know, you see balance, um, Lakers, Clippers, Philadelphia, uh, the best teams. I think it's more that I don't want to see a league that won't have a Zach Randolph. I don't want to see a league that wouldn't have like a Grizzlies, Tony Allen. And by the way, nobody would play Tony Allen today. Like, I don't know that you could play Tony Allen today. You um, could. I, I think you, you, you I absolutely don't know could. That you could. I mean, here's, he wasn't guarded in that series. Here's the thing. This isn't a commentary on the style of play. This is a commentary on the coaches who are coaching the style of play. This is what this really is about. They, the, the San Antonio Spurs it introduced three-point shooting to their offense but they didn't get away from their principles that Popovich had always had since he took over. They just added three-point shooting to the principles. I think what's really happening is that you have these lazy, offensive-minded coaches who are using and hiding behind the premise of the analytics, talking about the three-point shot as a more efficient shot per possession, and they're not being required to coach good offenses, which would have to force them to figure out how to utilize a Tony Allen because Tony Allen is an excellent defender. And you're telling me excellent defense doesn't have space in today's NBA. I would say excellent defense is what this NBA desperately needs. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Yeah, I mean, so I, the way I think of the defense is, I mean, one of the things that I'm kind of, that I think is a, a, a real myth is, you're starting to hear on broadcast, oh, if anybody would ever play defense, or you see it in the studio shows, oh, no defense being played tonight. And I think what's happening is guys actually are really playing defense. The problem is, is when you have four or five guys on the floor who can all shoot from 24, five human beings just can't cover that much ground. Yeah, Correct. team defense used to be easy, right? Because yeah. the only one guy you had to account for was Ray Allen flying around a screen, a single double, and, you know, you pick him up, you know, uh, you lock and trail, and that's fine. And then, you know, you you, you know you don't have to cover this center because he's got a range of DeAndre Jordan, and this four-man is sort of, you know, I think, like, defenses are being stretched. Um, again, I by the way, I agree with you. It, the irony is, of course, is Greg Popovich hates the three-pointer, right? But he's, you know, you're not going to unilaterally disarm, right? Um, but I, but I, I do, I think it's something to monitor because I, I do think no different than the game in the 90s had evolved to a bad place. You might have certain corrections, and, and with every correction, sometimes there's an overcorrection. Um, again, I don't necessarily have a dog in this fight. I love the way things innovate, and I, I frankly like the style of play. I, do, I did prefer it in 2016, um, and, and I, I, there was a, one proposal I heard that was really interesting, which is over the first 36 minutes, three and a half quarters, limit each team to 20 attempts. Now, by the way, 20 attempts in 36 minutes rounds, winds the clock back like five years. Like we're literally talking about the, the Warriors reign still. Um, and then the final six minutes, anything goes, because we want to see those three pointers. And what this would do is say, actually would acquire a real coaching job, right? You have to be selective. Um, you can still shoot three pointers or shots from behind the line after uh, you 
exhaust your 20 attempts, but they're only going to count for two. So you know, it still might be a decent shot, but you're not going to get the three. Now you have to kind of allocate your threes. Now every time Giannis Antetokounmpo pulls up with 16 on the shot clock, he's taking a shot away from Bryn Forbes and Chris Middleton, who shoot in the mid-40s, right? And you have to ration your shots because the minute you're up, you're out of 20, okay, now the defense can sag a little bit, right? Like you're not worried about the guy lighting you up from three. Um, it would also allow guys to leave other players a little – more open. I think, I think you see better defense. And so I thought it was a really interesting proposal. I don't know that it's practical. I don't know that it ever could be implemented. But when I started imagining watching a game like that, I kind of was like, yeah, that'd be a pretty good basketball game. Right? I mean, I, and, I, and I think it was sort of like, would it be preferable? If you're asking me aesthetically, yeah. I'd rather see a game that goes back to 2015, 16 kind yeah. of volume of threes. By the way, not 1991, like 2016. That's how crazy it's gotten. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Kevin Arnovitz, of course, with us here, one of our best writers, covers the NBA for us uh, on ESPN.com, the magazine, etc. So l- let me talk like actual basketball that is going on now <laughs> uh, beyond just the aesthetics of uh, or the philosophies of three-pointers. If you're the Lakers right now, okay, and let's say – now I know they're reevaluating Anthony Davis uh, tomorrow night, okay, after the game, but – Let's say March 25th rolls around, and he's still not available, or at least it's an unknown, his availability. What do you do on that deadline? Like, what, what do you try to acquire? Do you try to fit a retrofit around LeBron, you know, assuming that he may or may not be available, the Anthony Davis, that is? Like, what do you do if you're the Lakers? I mean, it's a tough call. Um, I don't want to do anything overly disruptive, and I certainly don't want to give up real value. Um. Now, the good news is the Lakers are the Lakers, and I think there will be buyout candidates. And, and, and in, some, in some ways, it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful salve for really good teams, right? Because, you know, most teams have to kind of give up something to acquire something. And the Lakers, you know, by, by virtue of being that, you know, can probably find and, and you know, go pick your favorite underachieving team and, and you know, find the buyout candidate. And, and, you know, that person can fill in. And in that case, you obviously want some size. Um, I mean, what's so difficult to replace about Davis is, I mean, he's really a rim. I mean, he's a rim protecting five with the sort of, you know, kind of isolation whiz of a two, three, right? Like, like he's really the most, what, truly one of the most fungible players in the game. And I don't know that you can replace him, but I would be really careful. Um, also, I, I, I kind of, I like, I, I, even without Davis, I mean, look, they're not playing great. I still kind of, I think they can figure it out. Um, but I, I just wouldn't, and also, I mean, to be honest, other than maybe Kuzma, and I, I think we've never really, truly tested the market on him, right? Like the, the, there was this notion that he was kind of part of any big deal they would get if they, you know, cashed in all the young guys. And he was sort of, he was the guy who got the ice float and everybody else got traded to New Orleans. Um, you know, I don't know what his market value is. And frankly, by virtue of losing Davis, you kind of now need a rangy four. So, you know, it, it's a tough, it, it's a really tough thing. I mean, obviously you'll explore the buyout market. I don't know that there's a trade out there that would get you what you want for the period of time you want it that would not cost you in the long term to justify it. I have a question for you that's kind of important. Okay. Do you know who Kat Von D is? <laughs> or her sister Kat Von D. Is it embarrassing if I don't? No, no it doesn't because no. we didn't know it either. And our producer Greg 
put her in a category of actresses, and she was on the show LA Inc. But the other people in this category, because we play this game under overrated, underrated, or properly rated, and he put him in. Uh, he put her in with our pal Freddie Prince Jr., who loves to go, who comes on the station with us, um, and uh, James Vanderbeek. And LZ was like, "Wait, who is that person?" And uh, you know, so we were just wondering if we were the only ones that didn't know, or if, or if, you know, our instincts were right. I have really weird pop culture holes and like insanely <laughs> like we could go on 80 sitcom marginal, like bat, you know, not even stars, like, like eighth and ninth men, eighth and ninth women. Like I, I, I can go down. Like I have seen every silver spoons and every Jefferson's episode ever Same. produced <laughs> at least twice. Same. Um, you know, but I, I, it's, it's funny. And then I have these huge holes that happened right about when I got this job. Like, was that 1998 realize, by about, chance? About 98, late 90s? No. I mean, oh. I, no. I, when did I get this job? I got this job like 07, 08. Oh, okay. Um, so, so like time stops. Yeah. Like yeah. time completely stops right. when you're in arenas at night. Yeah. Um, Elsie, I, I admire that you've been able to be able to like, you've been able to double track it. Like you could, you can do both. I'm, I have like, I, I have no bandwidth and, and I'm, I'm going to now, I'm going to explore the good work of Kat Von D. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, know which I mean, genre she works in, but it's I am brief. going to make this an assignment. <laughs> and it's by the way, just so you know, it's 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 Von V O N, and then the letter D. It's not spelled F O N N D E E. It's not Fondy. Yeah. It's not Fondue. Yeah. It's just Von D. Yeah. Von, and then the letter D. Because I didn't know either, so don't yeah. feel so bad about it. And yes, I got a big hole is, myself. Is the D short culture. for something? I don't know. I imagine I don't, Greg, is, Greg is it short for anything? Do you know? Yes, it's, it's, yes, it's short for Drechtenberg. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I would go short. Gosh, short yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Definitely. But I, listen, I just want to say My something. I understand. Correct. I, I understand that the, the seeing every episode of The Jeffersons twice. There's a lot of kids now that would say they've seen every episode of The Office twice. It's still why it's my favorite sandwich. You guys know what a Willis sandwich is? No, and I don't know. A Willis remember. sandwich? From different but, strokes? No, no, no. A Willis sandwich. Or, or, or Willis was the Willis neighbor from, in the Jeffersons. Jeffersons. Right, right. Yeah. So, so, so George Jefferson. And, what was his George, name? Franklin Cover, I think. Yeah. George Jefferson would, would tell you that a Willis sandwich is turkey on white. That's my sandwich. That's <laughs> funny. Um, Kevin is actually, for those that don't know, uh, an excellent cook. I have eaten at the Arnovitz household uh, a, a while back now, pre-COVID, obviously. Um, and he hosts a podcast with our pal Tom Haverstrow called Pack Your Knives. Uh, it's a Tough Chef podcast as well. Um, now, let me ask you this, uh, because I saw this in the New York Times, and I'm glad that I saved this for you. The New York Times wrote a story that the best bagels – are no longer in New York, but they are here, Kevin Arnovitz, in California, both in the Bay and in Southern California. You, as a man of culinary expertise, say what to that? So I understand this was like lighting up Brooklyn Twitter, and 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 I'm not on Twitter, so I, I was I was excused from this. I mean, this is really interesting. I do know that there's a really good Montreal style bagel in Los Angeles now. This is what I've learned from this story. Um, which makes me really happy because now you have sort of the Montreal bagel versus the New York bagel, but now Los Angeles as a proxy for the Montreal bagel and the great bagel wars. Um, I, if I can do a shout out, one of the, I think the bagels mentioned was Maury's bagels, who is my friend Jason Kaplan in Silver Lake. So, so if you do want a New York style bagel in Los Angeles that is better than a New York style bagel in New York, um, you've now given me the chance to, to promote for, for, for Jason's place. Um, there's some good bagels here. Uh, I'm still partial to H&H. Upper West Side, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I mean, I, I think 
this is sort of the, the, the earth is flat now, right? Like there's great pastrami and Wyoming and there's great bagels in California right. and there's great jerk chicken in Toronto, right? Like this is, this is, this is the world is flat. It, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Here's there the, are cheesesteaks the outside of Philly. I can tell you that. Here's the deal. Bodegas. You can walk down the street in New York and maybe take 10 steps before you find a bagel spot. And the culture of L.A. obviously is very different. You have to be much more intentional. So I am still am leaning towards New York, not necessarily because of the taste or the quality or the fluffiness, if you will. Some prefer denser bagels, but because of the access to them. They're okay. everywhere. You know why? You're an analytics guy. And the median bagel in New York is better than the median bagel in Los Angeles. That's what you're saying, right? Like, there's a, there's a better vault. Your average bagel <laughs> the average in New York bagel. is better than your average, right? Like, you got you got to look at the, the bagel efficiency rate. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. You gotta, well, it's, it's a basically bagel within a ten block radius. Yeah, it's it's a vorp basically is what Elsie is looking at with his bagels. Yeah, there you go. But, exactly. Hey, so Elsie, answer me this. My understanding is there is great Detroit pizza in Los Angeles. First of all, please define Detroit pizza for me. Is it and that stuff we see on the? Great, is it the stuff we see in that Pizza Hut commercial? I hope not. I will no, no, simply no, no. But, say but I, this. My understanding is it's great Detroit pizza. I will simply say Detroit-style pizza is something I did not learn about until I moved out of Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> so it just feels like it's a little bit more marketing than actually rooted in history. I, I'll just put it that way. All right, fair enough. Uh, Kevin Arnovitz. People are trying to trade on the good name of Detroit, yes. There yeah, it is. Exactly. There you go. Kevin Arnovitz, check out his work, of course, on ESPN.com and the ESPN app. Uh, it's a great story, if you haven't read it, about the three-point shot and the evolution and the potential hurdles and issues that may arise because of it. So, Kevin, always a pleasure. It's great catching up with you. Stay healthy, stay safe. We'll talk soon. You as well. Take care. All right, see you. All right, we are back in four and a half minutes. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Tadano LZ Cap with you on 710 ESPN. Thanks to Kevin Arnovitz for joining us there. If you didn't see his story, make sure you check it out on ESPN.com. Lindsay Theory going to join us at 6 o'clock, so in about 15 minutes we'll talk some Rams with her and go around the NFL with her. Uh, by the way, today is National Popcorn Lovers Day. Now, LZ, I'm always afraid to ask you these questions because mm-hmm. you don't love junk food very much. This um, is true. So, but popcorn, considered in theory a healthy snack. So, yes or no? Um, yeah, I'll do popcorn. I do skinny pop. Um, <laughs> of course the, you do. With the black pepper seasoning. It's very addictive. Ooh, that does taste good. That's that come in a that come prepackaged in a bag, or is that something you make? Uh, it is prepackaged in a bag. Yeah. Um, yeah. And every now and then, I'll do um, like some microwave popcorn if we're watching like a movie that I care about. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, no, microwave, microwave popcorn, popcorn is good though. I do. I like microwave popcorn. I like the it pops up in the bag, and then you can just open the bag right there, and it's smoky and it's hot, and you just you just chomp on it all. I like that, but I can't get down with movie theater popcorn because it's just Why? too greasy, buttery. Oh, yeah. 
But you can yeah. get it without the butter. Yeah, I could. I don't know why. I'm not. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, somebody you can just gets, ask. Somebody, you know? somebody gets a bucket. Somebody gets a big old bucket, and you just stick your hand in there, and it's just a dip. Not anymore. Nowadays, forget it. Now you got to have your own popcorn. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no more individual tubs of popcorn. popcorn sales are going to yeah. skyrocket. I feel like. Um, I see. I don't love popcorn. See, here's the thing: when I go to a movie theater, when I did go to movie theaters, um, I would buy popcorn, but I'd buy like the small one because I know I'm not going to eat the big one. So I'd buy a small one, even though it costs more, and they always try to upsell me. Well, for a dollar more, you can get the large. No, I don't. I just want a small one because I'm not going to eat all that popcorn. Because I, if I'm going to waste calories at this place, I want to get stuff that I want, right? Whether that's like, um, you know, the cookie dough or like a Kit Kat or whatever the hell it is I want to get, whatever chocolate accompaniment that I want to get for my movie uh, intake, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to just waste it on popcorn. Strawberry Swizzlers in a movie. Yeah, the licorice. That's no, what I like. Not for me. Not for me. LZ mm. Twizzlers? Um, I have Twizzed. <laughs> I may um, have called them Swizzlers, not Twizzlers. Thank you. I usually, I like sneak in like, God, this is going to make me sound like such an ass. But I usually sneak in like um, protein bars. I knew it. Come on, now listen, LZ. I have heard. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I mean, I'm just hold on, shaking my head. Hold on. Now. Time out. Okay, let's take a 20. I'm putting both hands on my shoulders here, okay? I have heard plenty of stories of people, including myself many years ago, okay? Sneaking in a hamburger, right? Mm-hmm. Sneaking in some fries, maybe like some nuggets or something. Bottle of water so you don't have to pay for it in the movie theater. Right, yeah. right, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Sneaking in a protein bar is not anything I've ever done. You don't even have, have you to sneak Scott? it in. You don't have to sneak it in. You can actually hold it out, and the people at the movie theater be like, what is that, a protein bar? Oh, we don't sell those. You're fine. Yeah, I mean, that's um, what kind of protein bar. I like protein bars, but, I mean, I You I know the don't... ones they sell at the drugstore? They have, like, 24 grams uh, sugar-free. I think they call it pro-protein or something like that. Okay, I, don't so like, I, don't like, I don't like doing Metrex. Uh, I find those to be too much like a candy those bar. Those are like chalky, though. Yeah, those are I, I'm yeah. not a big fan of those, but I mm-hmm. like the ones they sell like at Walgreens. They're really compact and they're dense, and uh, the sugar content is, is pretty low. And I'll grab like a couple of those if I'm like if I start to get like hungry while at the theater. Though, I, so- as I said, I will eat out Twiz. I will eat like some popcorn. Um, so it's not like I only eat, you know, protein bars in the movie theater. It's just more often than not, if I'm sneaking something in, that's what I'm sneaking in. I'm not sneaking in like a burger or anything like that. I'll tell you what I don't want. I don't want like like candy, like Mike and Ike's or like, um, oh, give me a, like Swedish fish. You know, like I don't want something that's just pure sugar and chewy and it's like going to get stuck in my teeth. And then I get popcorn, and then the popcorn gets stuck in your teeth. So, anyway. Yeah. I, I, Greg, where, where are you on move on popcorn? Protein bars? Where, no, well, protein <laughs> no. bars, no. Although I do like myself a little Power Crunch uh, protein bar that you could buy at Walgreens or CVS or whatever, or Costco or Vitamin Shop or wherever. Um, but, yeah, like, I, see, I don't waste a lot of time on popcorn at the if I do go to the movies. No, nah, popcorn. Popcorn is no good for me. I mean, all you get the little kernels stuck in your teeth, and you're fighting yourself with it the entire time through the movie. I just not a fan. I go with like a Sour Patch Kids, that kind of thing. Oh, you like see, Sour Patch Kids is good. I like Sour Patch yeah. Kids. Those are good. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think I've probably had some in the past two years. 
mean, you I didn't had two years. Well, I didn't have any last year because no one went to the movie theater. Well, we didn't go to really. the movies. That's exactly. true, I guess. Yes, that's fine. That's fine. You're right. You're right. You should try a perfect bar. Perfect bars are very good. You ever have one of those? A perfect, perfect bar? Perfect bar? That sounds yeah. too presumptuous. <laughs> well, they, it does sound like they really think highly of themselves. But yeah, it's a really good bar. That's the kind of bar I like. Perfect bar. The peanut butter perfect bar. Try that one. Mm. Um, Laura, movies, what is, what, is the, what is the choice there? Well, I'm not trying whatever Cap was just trying to sell because I would die. But then I sneak <laughs> in Hot Cheetos. <laughs> I love Ooh, hot, Cheetos. hot Cheetos. Oh my god! Yeah, I love my, them. my my kids love those, and every time they bring them into the house, I'm like, I'll eat one, and I'm like, What is this mm-hmm. doing to my insides right now? You eat the bag. You can't eat one. There's no way anyone can just eat one hot Cheeto. That's a lie. <laughs> I have one determined that's Cheeto. a lie. Yes. I mean, you aren't wrong. Like you, yeah. you know, you know, Lay's used to have that thing. That used to be their branding. You can't just have one. Um, and you're kind of right. Like. There are certain things that you like, certain chips or or, or Cheetos or whatever. I guess they kind of classify in the chip family that you can't just have one. You got to have at least a couple. Yeah, you can't. Salt and vinegar kettle chips. No, can't put oh, those down. Bro. Those are can't pretty put good. Those down. What are you those a pregnant are per- woman? Like salt and vinegar? What's wrong with you? Oh, dude, salt and chi- vinegar chips go way back, way back. No, back. I can't do it. I can't. Back do in salt the hood, we would. Be- dip them in vinegar ourselves before they figured out how to actually create the formula to replicate the taste. That's what I'm talking about, LZ. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Right there. No, no. See? And give me Told like sour cream human. and onion. Like, oh, that's God, no. Oh, yeah. no, no. What do you mean, no? No, no that's disgusting. Disgusting? No, delicious. No, no, no. I said it right the first time. Disgusting. No. Put up a poll right now. Salt and vinegar versus sour cream and onion. Right Kettle now. chips. Kettle chips. Sour cream and onion versus salt and vinegar kettle chips. Okay. All right. All right. Put up a poll right now. Janice, if you're listening, put up a poll right now. 877-710-ESPN. We also take a a phone poll. We'll do our own poll. Uh, Phone poll. The jalapeno kettle chips are really good, too. If you haven't tried those, it's the one in the green bag. Yeah, I I find that they say they're jalapeno, but once you start eating them, they're not really. No, they're they're, they're fake-apeno. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, big opinion. So, uh, all right, coming up next, we got what you need to know. Lindsey Theory is going to stop by. We're going to talk some Rams. Uh, we got a lot of stuff coming up uh, with the Rams. The Rams are kind of in like this weird ass spot, okay, where the cap has gone down and they don't really manage the cap that well. And our boy Les Snead is going to have to make some tough decisions with our pal S. Boogie, uh, Sean McVay. So, we'll get to that with Lindsey Theory coming up in just a moment. Stick around, 710 ESPN, back in three.